Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast sponsored by Overdrive. Today's episode is a fun one. I have returning guests, Emily Henry and Julia Whalen. Now you may have heard both of them on the podcast before, but Emily Henry is the number one New York Times bestselling author. She has written Book Lovers, People We Meet on Vacation, and Beach Read, as well as the forthcoming Happy Place, which we talk about today. Then we have Julia Whalen. She has narrated over 400 audiobooks in all genres, and she is considered one of the best narrators around today. She is an Audi Award winner, an Earphone Award winner, and is an author in her own right. So we hope you enjoy this conversation with Emily and Julia as they talk about their respective involvement with Emily's new book, Happy Place, that comes out on April 25th. We hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast sponsored by Overdrive. This is Emma. And today I have Emily Henry and Julia Whalen. Welcome back to the podcast. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having us. I'm so thrilled to have you both here to talk about your involvement in Happy Place that comes out on April 25th as their respective author and narrator. So we're going to do something a little different today, and hopefully I can ask you both questions in a way that makes sense. <laughs> so, <laughs> I believe in you. <laughs> uh, so we'll see. We'll give this a go. To get started, Emily, can you tell us what Happy Place is about? Oh, gosh. I hope yeah, so. Emily. Um, <laughs> I'm like, which book? Um, Happy Place is about Harriet and Wynn, who have been a couple since they met in college, and their group of friends. And every summer, this group of friends has taken the same week-long trip to a family cottage on the coast of Maine. And this year, Harriet is planning to go solo because it's time to break the news that she and Wynn actually have split up months earlier. Only when she gets there, Wynn is already there despite their agreement. And it turns out this is like their last trip to this cottage before the family sells it. And so they decide we can just fake it for one more week because this means so much to everyone. And at the end of the week, you know, we'll go our separate ways. We'll wait a little bit and then we'll tell them we split up. Um, Yeah. So I thought it would be like a barrel of laughs. I was like watching a bunch of like screwball comedies, like, you know, the comedy of remarriage plot from the forties. And I was like, I'm going to write that. And then instead I just wrote like the saddest (laughs) book of my life. Yeah. So that's interesting that you said that because this book is a lot in the best way. I felt a lot when I read it and it was very funny, but then also a lot of emotions. 
a lot of emotions with this. (laughs) And so I'm wondering what else the inspiration for this story was, if it started as something a lot more lighthearted, how did we get this. How did we get to this? <laughs> well, I do always actually love playing with tropes. Like I, I feel like the conversation with tropes is kind of the same conversation that happens with anything in pop culture where people get really excited about it. And then you hit that tipping point and then everybody's like furious that it, ex- it exists and like wants to, <laughs> you know, destroy it. But the thing is, I really do believe that the only reason tropes exist is because we see these things happen in real life. Um, the fake dating is a little bit less common, but I've definitely even it, like in high school, I remember being in situations where it was like, whatever stuff, weird things happen in, in the real world, weird things happen. And I thought, okay, well, I love this trope as like a viewer and a reader. Um, but like I said, I was kind of pulling from more of like the forties way of doing it, which was very silly and over the top and like a barrel of laughs. And then when I set out to write it, like when I'm writing with a trope, it's like I'm using that as a jumping off point, but I'm still always thinking about these characters and what their version of it would look like in real life. And so when you're thinking about a couple who's been together for almost a decade and then they split up (laughs) and then you believe you believably have to have them split up for a good enough reason and then get back together for a good enough reason. um, that ends up not being that like lighthearted overall. It's like, what, cause if they split up for some stupid reason, it's like, well, they shouldn't be together. They're, these people are fools. So um, yeah. But the so, audience of today versus the audience of the forties yes. that would buy that storyline. <laughs> exactly. In the forties, they're like, I mean, when you're married to someone you talk to them on occasion. So it'd be pretty easy to just get a divorce and then, and then fall in love again. Um, also like, a lot of those plots are truly, I mean, I'm thinking about the Lady Eve where it's like a con woman who tricks the same man into marrying her like three separate times, I think, <laughs> at least two, pretending to be someone else. So, um, and unlikable yeah. characters were just way more acceptable then. They were, they really were. And now you're like, okay, so these people need to have broken each other's hearts, but we have to not hate their guts. Oh, what a needle to thread. <laughs> I know, I know. No, I think that that, I think this book rises to that challenge. Um, the obstacles feel real, but not in a way that I don't know that, that they can't seem to overcome. Yeah. So Julia, you've narrated the last several books by Emily. When did you sign on to do happy place and, and how long have you been involved in this book for the, for the audio book? Our poor, long-suffering producer, (laughs) Billy Gilday at PRH, um, I just start pinging her, like, you know, in the summer, basically. And I'm like, (laughs) do we have a date yet for Emily's next book? And I always give her the out of, like, if I'm not right for it, no problem. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm, but maybe Emily's going to write a book about, you know, a 70-year-old man one day. I don't know. Like, um, (laughs) so, you know, but uh, I, I mean, I've. I always like save room around the same because she's on such a punishing publishing schedule. Um, but at least it's predictable. Yeah. So um, I that's I mean, I at this point, I just make the room knowing I think I know her publishing schedule better than she does. I think you do, too. And I also do get the yearly email from Kelly that's like, am I safe to assume you still want Julia? And I'm like, yeah, you don't. E- <laughs> I do say like you basically don't even need to ask us. As long as Julia has the time, that is what I want. But I'm also like, I'm saving room for at some point you to be like, I 
I need, I need to breathe. <laughs> I don't think that's, see, the problem is, is that if I'm going to read your book anyway, like Might as, as well soon read as, it aloud. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's how I feel at this point is, uh, I, I mean, there's just, and those Nothing. hours of prep work are just for fun, just for kicks. The hours really... of prep work and annotation and pronunciation. Yeah, just for fun. She yeah. would do that anyway. I would. I would. I mean, I'd be live texting you my read anyway. So, you know, why not? So it might as well be official. And I think the listeners and readers would expect nothing less. I don't know that you can ever not narrate her books now. I know. Oh God, <laughs> we'll that puts a lot of pre- You're going to have to change genres entirely um, and then we'll be like, that's okay. The, that's the only universe in which I wouldn't want you to narrate, but I totally agree. I mean, that I do think I have a lot of, re- I have a lot of readers who specifically know like, oh, I was going to, they'll tell me like I was going to pre-order the hardcover or whatever, but then I saw Julia's doing the audiobook again and like, you know, that's where, that's where my money is going. So yeah, I think there'd be there would be a little bit of an uproar, rightfully so. There would be. That's I'm in, sweet. I'm excited to ask you, um, Julia, how you approached the story uh, to start recording the audio. I, and I don't know where we're at in terms of like timing because we're still a month out from uh, the release. I don't know how long it takes to record, um, you know, the audiobook or when you might have recorded it already. Um, so how I recorded you... it. Um, yes, I recorded it at the end of January, beginning of February, I think. Okay. So there's um, a little bit of a, of a good lead time. Yeah. And for Emily's books now, particularly they, they want to be able to send out audio arcs as well. Um, so, you know, a little bit more pre-publication. I don't think we did that with Beach Read. I don't think so either. I, I, so. I was surprised to start. I, I don't know if we've been doing that for a few books, but this is the first year that I've specifically noticed like the good, you know, I'm still watching my Goodreads for a couple oh, more honey. days. Only five stars, sometimes four if I'm feeling really powerful that day. Um, but so I, I have been seeing the reviews for the audiobook version on the five star thing. And a lot of times they're like four and a half rounded up to five because of Julia Whalen. And I'm like, you know what? I'll take it. I can nudge you that next. If I can give you a half a star, please do. Um, I'm always craving that half star. You know, you know how it is. I will, yeah, I do. That's why I don't have to stay off Goodreads. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I read this in January at some point. I was sent, I mean, she has this, I've been talking to her about this, but like Emily has this ability somehow to give me exactly the book that I need at exactly, and I'm not the only person who feels this way. Like if you do look at the reviews, because um, I'll look at reviews of your books all day long, but if I if I do look at the, I, I see this like common thread of people being like, this I didn't know exactly how to articulate what it is that I am feeling right now, but oh my God, there it is reflected on the page. And um, so that is like the, you know, for me, it's always some gift, like it's getting a, a secret Santa sort of gift by like the person who knows you best. That's how I feel every time I go into one of her books. And this time not only did it mean something to me personally, like I'm just kind of in flux right now and reevaluating things and like having a book about that was so powerful, but also I saw as a writer, like how she's growing and what she's doing here. And she's the risk she took um, with everything you're talking about, the heavier elements, the, um, the work is so good because the room to maneuver is so much smaller you know, um, these are really personal, emotional, character-driven stakes. And 
to watch her nail it just oh it was such a pleasure getting in and then recording it thank you so much I absolutely can't wait to listen to the audiobook version because I love the way in which you can make the entire audiobook feel like it's full cast Mm -hmm. uh, with your single narration and I can't wait to listen to how you bring these characters to life well there was a great group dynamic this time too um so yeah I did make you do a lot I feel like I did make you do a lot more voices this time it's okay we were ready for it it's okay (laughs) yeah yeah it was good there are there's a really fun group dynamic here and so Emily I'm wondering how long it took you to write this book um you know from idea to having it be in readers you know advanced reader copies hands and was it easier after the success of book lovers or was it more difficult in a way that all of that may have been happening all at once um it was definitely the hardest book I've ever written um I don't know the exact timeline I'm trying to think I mean so I had the idea for a book called couples trip like a few years ago I think before I wrote book lovers and I think I even wrote like the first 50 pages of a couple of different versions that were just like not even the same plot and then set those aside they they just weren't clicking and then with this one it finally like clicked. And I think I started working on it probably last July, maybe. Um, And yeah, I don't know. It it was just one of those books where I took every single minute uh, like I had (laughs) with it. And I kept having to get slight extensions to rewrite big chunks of it and then sending it in every time I was turning it in, I was just sort of like, I'm going to turn it in as soon as possible because I know I'm going to need more time on the next edit. It really felt like, you know, what Julie is talking about getting to this um, place where you have to maneuver so much more tightly. That was, I really did feel that. And some of it was like just having a larger cast and wanting to make sure everybody had value and story on the page. And some of it really was writing a character who, um, doesn't have a ton of agency in her own life, which I think we really, like a lot of us relate to. It's like so much easier to just kind of coast along and go with whatever kind of bats us in one direction or another. But so I think it's relatable, but I think when we're reading that, we get so annoyed and so frustrated with characters who won't just make a decision or who are making bad decisions or who who just like aren't driving their own story. It can feel boring. It can feel frustrating. It can lack tension. And I just felt like every round of edits was just sort of hammering into that space and just like trying to make Harriet's motivations um, very clear, (laughs) even though they might not be totally clear to her in the beginning. So yeah, I don't know. I I think some of it was the success of book lovers made it harder. I think every, every book now I'm just kind of waiting to disappoint people and I really don't want to, like, I really want my readers to be happy. But also I think it was just every every book I'm also setting out to do something different that I haven't done before. And that feels like a challenge. And I've seen that in Julia's writing as well, where it's like, you can see the common thread of the voice, but it's just like, okay, now this time I want to see if I can do this. Like, I feel like I, I imagine that's comparable to 
how you approach projects, Julia, like from a writing perspective, because it does. Yeah, but the difference is I take four years to do it. Like you're, (laughs) you're drafting these in, I mean, that's, that's what's absolutely crazy to me. And just like, I have nothing but respect for, because you really do, as you're talking about this, I'm realizing that the thing that I've always loved about your writing and hearing you talk about your writing is that I feel that you write like a reader. Yeah. (laughs) You're very conscious of people don't like this. Like this is, we don't buy this. Like you, you, I think um, that's a, and that's such a like interesting take on your, on your writing, because I feel like that's the respect that you bring to each project is not like, no, whatever they'll, they'll get it. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, I think we've seen all those think pieces too, that keep coming out every single year about like what happened to the good rom-coms in Hollywood. And I've had this conversation with a couple of friends where we're like, do you ever feel like when people are making like rom-com films, they're just sort of like, here you go, piggies, you like this slop, eat it up. (laughs) Like they just like hate it. They like hate rom-coms and they're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a rom-com. And yeah, I think, I think it is like, there's so, you have to have respect for your audience or what are you even doing? (laughs) You you, You have to take them seriously and understand what they want and why they want it. And then even if you're like, okay, well, but the story is still requiring me to have this character. I think it's really important to have a character who is a people pleaser and to see what that's like and how you get past this invisible obstacle that is not real, where you're just like, I can't say this because then the person might be mad. It's like, it's not going to lead to anything. They just might be quietly disappointed in me for expressing my opinion. Like, it's an invisible obstacle. It does not exist, but we all feel it. And so I think it's valuable to have that kind of character, but you do have to also be like, okay, so why don't we like this as readers? And how do we get in deep enough to have empathy for that character? And I think that that's such a good point that Julia made that you are so aware of what your readers are looking for and that you really do write for the readers. Um, I will say that I read this book in a day and the first time, And it like crushed me in the best way. And I couldn't describe like why that's what I wanted out of this book. I just put it down and my husband looked over and he's like, what is wrong with you? I was just like (laughs) crying. And I was like, it's so good. It just crushed me. And he was like, why would you want that? And I think that that's something though, that you understand that the readers may be looking for where it makes you feel things in the best way. Yeah. It was just an experience through and through. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. Thank you. Um, Yeah. I also think there's so much, like we spend so much time kind of modulating our emotions and story is a really safe way to feel them. And we have to feel them. Unfortunately, I'm being told by professionals, (laughs) you have to feel them. If you don't, (laughs) your body will shut down. So I think there's, yeah, I think it's a beautiful way to like get in touch with yourself and understand. I don't know. I think, I think that's why so many people are drawn to like faith and religion. It's like seeing a story can have truth in it that you can read something and not talking about that anymore, but like you can read fiction, you know, it's fiction and it doesn't matter because it's also true. It's also a true thing about the world and about life and it can change you in a way that like, I don't know. It's like, frankly, this is not a knock against therapy because everybody should be in therapy. But in some ways, sometimes it's quicker than therapy where you're just like, okay, now I know this thing because I was able to watch this imaginary person go through this process. And 
I was so deeply empathizing that now I understand something about myself that I didn't before. Yeah, absolutely. And so Julia, I'm going to ask you a little bit of a tricky question because we don't want to spoil anything about what happens in the book, but I'm wondering if in the process of narrating the audiobook for happy place, was there a particular chapter or scene or anything that stood out to you while you were, while you were recording that was either just funny or heartbreaking or, or most memorable to you about that process? I say this without any, I'm not blowing smoke. I'm really not. She knows how I feel about her, but I got into the booth every time and like sat down and it was a treat waiting for me. Like every scene is something I couldn't wait to do. And that is, I don't want to say it's rare. I record great books. I really do. But every time I get into the booth with hers, it's just like, I'm excited to do it. And I think that it's because of what we're talking about. Like there's so many notes to hit. There's obviously the the dialogue is fantastic, but within that you're still dealing with whether it's a, an angry scene or a sad scene or a self-realization scene or comedic it's, it's all intact. And so I look at, I, I just like, as you ask the question, like flashes, because that's the way I do. I see it. Like I'm kind of directing books in my head when I'm recording them. So I have like literal images when I'm flashing back on it. And obviously the, um, the gummy. <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking I hadn't listened to the whole audiobook yet. And I was like, I need to hear Julia's take on the gummy scene. That was what it was coming to my mind too. So fun. Um, and I mean, so many scenes near the end where it's, it's, uh, I think again, we have like the fun kind of the other thing that was fun to play with was the juxtaposition of the two timelines in the same way that people we meet on vacation was great for that. Like being able to kind of age the characters, um, was, was really fun too. Um, and also I had fun this time dealing with Harriet's voice, as like, as she comes into her agency and as she realizes what she wants um, and that it's worth fighting for, bringing a little bit more uh, girth is the word that comes to mind. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, we, which, a word we usually avoid at all costs, but that one uh, for this purposes, um, that's, that's how I was uh, uh, dealing with her. She's a, at the beginning, I, chose something a little different with her voice and only to give myself the distance to be able to um, bring her into her own ownership of her voice. And that's why you want Julia Whalen as your audiobook narrator. (laughs) Exactly. There's so many, and I think it's so great that, you know, Emily, you wrote the story, you wrote these characters for readers to just fall in love with. And then Julia, you just bring it to life in a different way as well. I, yeah. I'm so thrilled that the both of you exist <laughs> just oh, like thank you. Thank you. just to create, you know, this, this content. Um, I know that it's so important to readers. I like without going too far down the like fan rabbit hole, cause that's embarrassing. If I just sit here and fan <laughs> at both of you, um, I have my happy place colored cup. <laughs> oh my gosh. Love it. It's the same shade <laughs> so of pink. Big. That is great. It's, it's like comically oversized. It's incredible. Um, but I saw it and said, well, that's happy place pink. So we're going to yes. get that because I've been thinking about this book for months and it's not even oh. out yet. 
Uh, one of the things that this story addresses though, is also, you know, outside of Harriet and Wynne's sort of on again, off again, will they, won't they? It addresses how friendships can change over time. And I'm curious to know if either of you have experienced anything similar to that, where your sort of core group of friends are going through all of these different changes, you know, as you sort of get older, um, how do you, and then how do you sort of keep that sort of, I don't want to say vibe, but like, how do you keep those relationships, you know, strong and close as things continue to change? And you maybe feel like you're more and more pulled apart. That was very poorly worded. No, um, <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, that was one of the, one of the starting points for the book. It was like, I had the relationship angle, but I also, you know, um, I feel like in your thirties is the first time at least in my life so far that you really see people in your same age bracket take very diverging paths um because you have friends who have kids you have friends who've decided okay we're definitely not having kids you have friends who are still single and on the apps and like miserable and you have friends who are like divorced and remarried like you can be at so many it's like not even different phases because it's not like those things go in a row, but I think it can feel like they, they should go in a row. And so it can feel like, oh, I'm behind. Um, or someone from the outside can look very like quote unquote settled in their life. And like their career career is like another huge thing where it's like, I have friends who've been doing the same job now for like 15 years. And I have friends who are like, do I go back to school or they've already gone back to school once or twice? Like, Life is so nonlinear, um, but I think in your 30s is when you really start to see that and you can kind of trick yourself into, um, yeah, getting caught up in like, am I where I'm supposed to be instead of like, am I where, where I want to be? And I think, I think that the way that it works is if you just, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm terrible at keeping in touch with people. Like, I feel like when my friends are in front of me, I'm a very good friend, but I'm like, when I'm, when they're Same. not, I'm like, I'm writing. <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah. I'm so good at being a friend twice a year. Um, but I think just like loving and respecting their choices is a huge thing. And if you don't take on, if you're not like, oh, it's, you know, in book lovers, there's this whole thing where Nora knows she doesn't want to be a mom and her sister Libby like is a mom and loves being a mom. And if you don't take someone else's life choices as like a condemnation of your life choice, then it's like pretty easy, I think, to weather those big changes. Like my friends who have kids, I like love their kids so much and always want them around. And it's like, I still don't know if I want kids or not, but I love having those babies around. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's like, you don't need to all be the same, but it is, I feel like the first, I don't know, I'll, I'm, I'll be curious to hear Julia's experience, but it's the first time that I look around and I'm like, oh, we all have like a very different idea of what a good Saturday night is at this point. And that's interesting. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's just accurate. I think that life becomes the plurality of the like possibilities of life yeah. when you get into your thirties. There was a great, I remember a joke, I don't think it was a meme or something from early Twitter days that was like, you know, no, yeah walking on water and turning water into wine but no one talks about the real miracle yes. of Jesus which is that he had 12, 12 friends at 33 um 
I think that like there's a there's a truth to that that I mean I you know it's also your friends like reflect your experience when you're in your 20s I mean especially if you're far from home and you know that for me it was in LA and there was like a group of people we were all going after different things agents producers screenwriters cast you know actors like everyone would and we were just kind of this tribe like like moving up through the the ranks of of Hollywood right but as soon as people started getting married and their wife's got a job in, you know, Tennessee and like everyone just starts peeling off mm-hmm. and the experience is not, we're, we don't have these free nights to be like, oh, it's, it's a taco Tuesday right. um, down at the den. Like, let's, let's all go. So I think that, I mean, for me, I'm kind of, I'm with Emma, like I've never been like a big group person anyway. Um, and so, you know, the, the, I think there's those friends that you make the effort for of we're going to do this every year. Um, And that's what I think she does so well in the book of highlighting that you have made the choice to prioritize these people. And that, and so there is like a, almost a sunk cost. Yes. Feeling about that of like, it's like family. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, It is the closest thing to family. And I think like, I actually was going to mention that earlier that this, this trope of the fake dating thing, we often see it for parents to appease parents or family. And I think what's so great about this twist on it is the found family. Like that is really the impaired when you get into that age of your life, you know, you, yeah, you may be trying to still please mommy and daddy, but more than anything, you don't want to hurt your friends. Yeah. And that was yeah. a very smart setup and a and a little subversion of the typical way we see the trope executed. Yeah, absolutely. That plays such a big part, obviously, in this story where they really just want to have one final sort of perfect week before they in their in their minds blow everything up and right. potentially wreck this sort of you know happy place that they've created, this family that they've created. And I love and the I- way that you explore that though. I think also it is like a relatable thing when you're sometimes your friends will have a partner who you just like, it might not be the two friends who got together, like Harriet and Wynne, where it's like they were each other's mutual friends, whatever. But sometimes it like is a weird thing where you'll get really invested in a friend's partner, but they're still kind of like your friend's partner. They become your friend, but you're like, oh, I just, you know, they're all, whatever. And then if that, right, if they break up, up, how's this going to go? <laughs> And it feels like sad where you're like, dang it. Like, I really liked them. And now, you know, I could maintain this friendship, but it'll affect the other friendship. There there really is something to that. Because, you know, sometimes I feel, I think it's way more common to like hate your friend's significant others and be like, what are you doing? Um, at least in your twenties. And then, but it, but so when you, when they're like dating someone who you're crazy about, you're like, please stay together. They're good people have to do what they need to do to be happy and that's okay. Yeah. I think that's a really an interesting dynamic that I don't think happens quite a bit where you have all of those sort of complicated layers of like your friends are your spouse's friends or like there's all these connections as if I guess a random example, one of my best friends, her husband is best friends with my husband and they're the ones that introduced us. So it's like high stakes if things were to go <laughs> yes. All right. Yeah. Um, you yeah. Know, and it's like a couple you go on trips with. Like yeah. that, that is, I mean, I've seen that with my 
parents and their friends and, you know, friends and their friends where it's like they have this tight knit like couples group, which is why the book was originally called Couples Trip. And everybody's like, this is great because, you know, we can kind of all be friends with each other. Mm-hmm. And then there's also like sort of like a, um, it's sort of like sobering to see a couple who you love hanging out with split up like that's very sobering even if you feel like your own relationship is strong it's sobering to be like I thought that they were so good together and you know and I think that's part of Harriet and Wynn's thing too is like they're on this trip with their friends but their friends are also couples and Harriet and Wynn have been perceived as the perfect couple like the first couple of the group and they know you know they know that it might affect how some of them view love especially like the ones who don't have um like parents who with relationships that they like grew up witnessing whatever so yeah I think it's just it's a weird thing that actually does happen yeah but I I also think as well like to your point that it does speak to the fact that whatever you may perceive like you know, their friends think that Harriet and Wynn have the perfect relationship. They mm-hmm. are the couple to sort of strive to be like in this group that they can also be layered and have issues and need yeah. to work through all of those things. And um, that, that they can certainly maybe find their way back to each other or work through those things, but that it does take just that it takes work. Right. Um, and it takes work to be making those choices and, and choosing to be together throughout all of these different life issues and phases and things, um, that sort of come your way as you get older. Yeah. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of burn the boats from evergreen podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist, Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist, Bill Crystal about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. So when did the title of this book change from Couples Trip to Happy Place? Um, I couldn't tell you exactly when, but, but it's become pretty common. Let me think about this. So the same, I mean, it, the same thing happened with book lovers where book lovers was originally called city person. And then I actually found a, a note from even earlier before the book exists, where I was just calling it hot people. <laughs> um, and so I know, so basically it's like the first draft that I turn in will always have like some title and then it might stick or it might not. And within like a couple of drafts, um, my editor and agent and I will all like brainstorm like a million other options. And with happy place, we had, we, we did so many, we went so overboard. Happy place was like the second title that I came up with when we were like, okay, couples trip sounds too swingery. That was the feedback I got. And they were like, and we wanted to sound like fun. And so happy place was probably, the, we wanted to deceive the, the reader. <laughs> yes. Right. We want them. Well, at that time it was also like, you start naming 
these books before they're totally done and like yeah, you get covers yeah. before they're done and you're like sorry I mean I do think it's a ha- it's oh it's about happiness it's a book about happiness in the same way that beach read isn't just a beach read it's a book about beach reads like yes. and pe- you know it's like every we, we call it the winky element of the title that's like a thing that we've talked about a lot um as a team so like with happy place it's like a little wink where you're like this is about the concept of a happy place so it was the second idea I had, but I was like, does that sound like a thriller? Because it also definitely would be a good thriller title. And we went back and forth for a long time. And then finally we like shared a list with like the marketing team and they were like, yeah, happy place. And we were like, oh, okay. Well, that was way easier than we made it. So so did you already have the structure though of the, the no happy so place? Okay. I did not. And that was really helpful because like I said, I took every minute that I was given to work on this book. Like it was really down to the wire I like really spent every second I could on it and when we when they finally like when I pitched the concept of the happy place title I was like oh and I could do this for you know the structure because it needed a new structure I don't remember how I had it and then when they accepted it I was like okay I know exactly how I'm going to do this um and that's such a good feeling when because it's so freaking hard to edit a book when you have an idea and you're like I see how this is going to work it's like thank god <laughs> it's such a rare it's such a rare feeling to just know something's going to work yeah wow that's great well so that's interesting to know that the structure sort of came later into the process where you're sort of switching between present t- day where they're at the house in Maine going through this week of fake dating um and then we sort of hop back in time to various other happy places or not throughout the story. So just to be a little cheesy and ask the question for both of you, I'm wondering where your happy place is. Oh man. Um, there's actually, there's a, there's, there are a number of places I'm never happier than when I'm traveling. Um, and so that's actually part of like the realization that was coming to me when I was reading Emily's book was so much of my life is like tied to this booth. Um, and trying to figure out a kind of path forward so that I can, because for the last three years, there just wasn't anywhere to go. Um, and so all of life became work. And, um, and but right now, I'm actually just happiest at home. Like, that's, that's really, that's the one that's feeding me right now so sorry to be like classic geriatric millennial here but like oh my gosh like to not leave <laughs> yeah no it's so funny because obviously this question I know is going to be asked like again and again and it'll probably get a slightly different answer from me every time just because I get sick of saying the same things so I'll start lying just kidding um but no I mean it is the first two places that come to mind the very first is always home which is I think so beautiful and special because I know most people probably don't feel that way, but I, <laughs> I am like such a Pollyanna in some ways where I'm just like walking around, like, I love my house. I love my life. Yes, I love my yes. yard. I love my dog. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's like, it's so great now that the, now that the pandemic is sort of easing off and we're finding the new normal slowly. Um, it's nice to be able to just choose to be home and yes. versus when we were just stuck and thought oh I want to go to a rave (laughs) like now I'm like no I don't want to go to a rave what was I thinking I want to be at home um but then the other one I think a place that I find very grounding is Lake Michigan like I don't know it's funny because I my family is originally from the west coast 
And I've like gone to many, many a beach in my life, but for some reason, Lake Michigan, even though it's like a smaller body of water than the ocean, when I'm there, I think I have that most um, intense like experience of like the sublime where I'm just like, I'm so small and look at this big, beautiful lake. And it feels like this entity. It feels like the moon to me. It feels, <laughs> I'm going to get very um, jangly bracelet lady here, but it really feels like feminine and maternal and like <laughs> sexy and erotic. And I just love like Michigan. <laughs> I that, love that. that should be their slogan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sexy and erotic. Instead yes. of pure yeah. Michigan, it's just sex <laughs> Michigan, sexy and erotic. Sexy and erotic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, they can have you for those Michigan ads now. Yeah, with that yeah. slogan. <laughs> I would love to just be like I don't even live there, and I would so I would love so much to just become the face of Michigan. It's like Michigan, I like going. <laughs> you should try it, I'll Michigan. Try. You should try it. Yeah, you should try it. I love that. And I do think that's a very important point though. Like the last several years have sort of highlighted what we love and what we don't like. And it's nice to, again, have maybe those options to experience, you know, if we want to go out versus if we want to stay home, um, you know, before the pandemic, I think we were all very like, go, go, go. And then we were forced to do nothing. And that was equally challenging. And so hopefully in this sort of post era, we can sort of find a better balance of things that we enjoy. Yeah. And I think, you know, to Julia's point of feeling like, oh, Emily is always writing this book for me. I think that all that's really going on is that I've started publishing during the pandemic. And so we are all for the first time going through, there's like this unifying element where we're kind of going through different waves of experience. And I know it's not entirely universal, but I think that experience of now finally having a little bit of space and thinking, what do I actually want? Like, what do I want? I think that there, I think that that is more universal now than it usually is, even though that's a common feeling just because of the last few years. So it's like, I'm such a good point. Honestly, that's such a good point because I've noticed a difference even in, sorry to talk about me for a second, but even in the, uh, the way that I've seen the response to my Oxford year, my first book, which is about Mm -hmm. a 25 year old realizing, is this even like am, what I'm doing, like living the dream, like going after right. my dream, is this actually my dream and having to make that choice. And like the difference of how that book, I was seeing the reception in 2018 versus the people who are picking it up now. You're right. That is like such a, a common thing. I feel we're all living through. Yeah. Well, and wow. the thing of, if you're not walking around your house going or your apartment going, I love my life. You're like, well, I'm spending a lot of time here. So that's kind of a problem. You know what I mean? Like, I think Mm -hmm. that's why so many people moved. So many people were like, I want a yard. Like I'm, you know, I've been in New York for 20 years and like, I guess I'll move to Pittsburgh so I can have like a stretch of grass, whatever. I think, I don't know. It's, it's really, it's, I think in a, obviously the pandemic is and was horrible, but there have been um, things I think it's taught us that are really valuable about how to claim our own happiness and how much it matters now. Like, don't wait, don't wait. Don't be chasing the imaginary finish line so you can maybe be happy someday. Like try to be happy now if you can. Yeah, man. Yeah, I think it really helped us reprioritize what we actually want out of life. And, you know, whether that's to stay home or to travel or to reevaluate your careers or anything like that. Um, so yeah, this book definitely feels timely in that they're all sort of going through big changes and trying to grapple with what the future looks like. 
you know, after they're at their happy place. So speaking a little bit about the future, I'm wondering if you are both doing anything for the book release or book tour together. I know you both have busy schedules or if you're just, uh, you have anything planned as we approach the release of this book. We should. I don't think we, we should, have, but I don't, I don't think we do. do. We I think anything? this was I it. Think, yeah, this was <laughs> it. Maybe we should do something else. Um, yeah, I think right now what's happening is I'm finishing my next book. So I barely know what's going on. I mean, it's, I want to keep going at this pace, but I am like, I really have no idea what's going on. I have, I have a Google doc that my team has helped me. Like I check it every day and I'm like, what do I have today? Because I'm not even good at putting it into my calendar. So all that to say, I'm going to, yes, we will figure out something to do this summer. I also am just now starting to try and consider trying to do some in-person events. I think I'm going to try and start with some outdoor situations because I still have not gotten COVID and I'm like, I know my days are numbered, but, um, so hopefully, you know, for my like job and vocal health, I'm all about that. I made everyone mask at my own events and felt like I was like, sorry guys, sorry, but I can't, I won't risk this. That could knock you out for, for months. If your, if your breath is affected. Um, and I, have asthma and can already barely make myself walk on my treadmill. So like I'm not from a professional capacity, but from a mental health capacity, I also need to protect my lungs. So yeah. So all that to say, I really hope Julia and I still have not met in real life, which is deranged of us. Um, but it we're is. going to make that but happen. But again, pandemic, the pandy. Yeah, we were just, I know the you pandy, know. good old pandy. So thank you for bringing that to our attention, Emma, because we do need to schedule something for the summer. You should highly, highly recommend (laughs) that would be great for readers. I'm sure. Um, and that sort of brings me to my next question for both of you. What are you each working on now that you can talk about as both, uh, you know, writers, uh, narrators, you have a lot going on. There's like movies and all kinds of things happening with this group. So what are you both working on? Emily. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, no. Um, yeah. So I'm working on my next book that I, every time I do this, I'm like, theoretically it comes out next summer. I think it will come out next summer. I have, I, I, it does, it hasn't felt as hard as happy place so far. I do think it's sort of every book I write feels in some ways like a reaction to the last one. So this next one, I do expect to be a lot more lighthearted overall. Um, I, so that's fun and good. I can't talk openly about like what it's about or anything yet. Um, but I'm excited. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Um, movie stuff is moving very slowly as it does. I'm told to just, it's just very slow and then all at once. So nothing I can talk about with that yet either, but I'm, it still seems like it could end up being a movie, which is promising in itself with adaptations. So that's cool. Um, yeah, Julia, over to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's always hard to be like asking writers where we're like, we're there's something's happening. Like words are appearing on a page. Um, you know, I I had this idea that I couldn't really shake, um, and so I'm I'm indulging it right now. But I'm not totally sure what form it's going to take. But essentially. If you read um, Thank You for Listening, the book that they're recording in Thank You for... Oh, Emily, your face made everything worth it. Thank you. Just seeing your face right now made this ridiculous idea <laughs> worth I'm it. I'm so excited. 
<laughs> good. Um, but, uh, you know, it started out as a kind of like joke, like for the purposes of thank you for listening. It's like, what's the most ridiculous romance novel premise I can come up with? And then I had to figure out so much of the story and the characters for it to work and thank you for listening that it was just it felt like actually this is way more interesting than I even thought it was and um I'm just I'm trying to do that and do it uh with some alacrity and um get it out there so yeah so between that and um some recording um which I also can't talk about uh and yeah, looking, look, setting my sights on like things I want to do next and maybe some things that working outside the system a little bit, but just self-generated, um, you know, all the things that interest me that I don't necessarily get to do when people are just offering me work, but like creating my own stuff. So yeah, very interesting, like transitional time and, and, uh, and, and, you know, honestly, seriously, this is what I meant by I was really much, I was very much considering like, what is it that makes me happy when her book landed in my inbox and I was just sending like screenshots to people. And there's one line specifically that was like, she never understood. I'm going to, sorry, I'm, you, this is going to be bad. I won't know anyway. <laughs> it's yeah. such a blur. I'll just make it up and you'd be like, wow, that yeah. really was good. Yeah, I'm um, smart. <laughs> I, uh, you know, she, she never understood why it was easier for me to meet other people's expectations than set my own. And I think like that is such a pivotal change. Um, maybe, maybe I'm generalizing, but that seems the late thirties seems to be about, um, and, uh, yeah. And just generally hoping that my portrayal of Wynne, um, lives up to people's feelings about my portrayal of Charlie so my own little anxiety going on but well, you know so far I mean again I'm only reading the good reviews so I can't speak to anyone else but the people who love it really love it and have said like move over Charlie like I've seen move over Charlie Lastra in multiple reviews so I Woo! think you know people okay. the people are happy the girlies are eating well you did me you did me a solid by creating somebody who I mean the last you know, three heroes of yours were like very literate. And I mean that in like a, they were very bookish and they were, yes. you know, and so now I've got like um, a kind of a good old boy a little bit yeah. to, uh, to deal with. And uh, yeah. so that was helpful. So thank you. I, me I mean, I love that. And that makes me excited. I mean, I feel like the one little tiny teaser that I actually could safely say, I don't know how much this will get edited back, but then I'm really excited about the hero for my next book because I just think he's like so nice and he also is just like a semi-responsible pothead and I think that's very charming um mm -hmm. I don't know how much that will get edited back if they'll be like you, he needs to be smoking weed a little bit less but I'm just like so charmed by this fake man I've made up and I'm like wow I can't wait to see how Julia handles this it'll be a different <laughs> you can start prepping yeah oh lots of research Get lots, lots of research, of research. yes uh very yeah. method on this one I feel yeah, you have to go method mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah I like this idea well uh thank you for indulging question that I know you probably can't I mean you can't answer you have a lot of things that are just in the works but I think for readers it's just exciting to know that you're both working on things that we can look forward to I know for me that's always the case that I know there's something cooking and even if we don't have details yet I can look forward to that later on. Is there anything that both of you are loving or obsessed with at the moment? Just kind of a random 
ask, but I'm just interested. Like, I feel like people go through phases where they find something that they're obsessed with, whether it's like a drink, a show, a book, anything like that. I'm interested to know if there's anything you guys are currently loving. I'm currently obsessed with being happy. Yes, <laughs> that's a good one. Spend I'm honestly currently obsessed with what makes me happy and doing that thing. Like that. that's, that's the rewiring of the brain that is happening right now. Um, but yeah, okay. The other things that are like, I could share with other people, attainable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, attainable things, um, come back to me. Um, um, I have so many, I feel like, which is uncommon. Usually my mind just goes utterly blank, but I recently watched bad sisters and I loved that show so much. It's on Apple TV. Um, I am finally watching Mayor of Easttown a long time after everyone else. And I'm loving that. I cannot wait for the new season of Severance. That was like the first season was probably like my favorite show in the last like 10 years. Um, Okay. Yeah. I loved it so much. I, as a writer, I feel like you can always, anything you watch, you're like, oh, I would have done this differently or whatever which is so easy to say when you didn't have to make something. But with Severance, I was like, no, I actually love every single decision that has been made here. Like it's, it's funny and weird and dark and interesting. And um, also I don't have an office job I hate anymore. So I could like enjoy it. Um, Beyond that. Oh, I read, I just read Vari McFarlane's new book and it set me back to rereading Vari McFarlane's older book. Me too. Gosh, I didn't read the new, I didn't read the new book, but I'm starting like at the beginning and going through they're so good she's so funny um yeah I'm trying to think I feel like so all of those are the first things that come to mind I've been drinking a lot of ginger beer because I'm trying to cut way back on my pandemic alcohol habits (laughs) so I'm having like a you know a little ginger beer like a soda every every night and that's like a fun little treat I like have to reward myself at the end of the day so had to find a way that wasn't literally like poisoning me (laughs) That's a good idea. I started doing just seltzer water and yes. uh, ginger simple syrup with Ooh, lime. That is a great idea. A little that less is great the calories. There's always the yeah. actress part of my brain that's like, how do I right. turn this into, how do I get rid of the filler calories? Right. Yeah. I'm no, like, you don't I, do on camera anymore. You don't need to. Yeah, do it doesn't anymore. matter. It just <laughs> but for me, that. I'm like, this yeah. is, it was always club soda. What, how can right. I make club soda more interesting? Um, I like all of that i (laughs) we enjoyed uh slow horses went into slow horses recently that was just delightful um oh i'm actually really enjoying the music that came out of daisy jones and the six oh like that album as an album is really good so thoroughly enjoying that Every, now everybody's got like a lo- nice long list. Yeah, those nice. are great ones. We need a like cocktail hour or mocktail hour with yes. Julia and Emily. Yeah, <laughs> I will. That make, is really I welcome will... to your thirties. Yeah. yeah, right. Don't have or time mock- to spend three days with a hangover. Exactly. Use our simple tips. Oh my gosh, it's like yeah. Sometimes you have two drinks and you're like, I think I blacked out. Um, it is so weird. It's so weird how it's just like overnight. You're like, my body does not want this anymore I also very much appreciated that representation in happy place (laughs) yeah yeah the fact that that you're and you're just like I'm like unwilling to have a hangover ever again in my life like I really I'm sure it will happen but for years I've been like I'm making so many decisions if there is alcohol involved where I'm like 
I'm no the whole time I'm drinking. I'm just like, well, I can't have too much champagne because the sugar will, you know, make yes. my blood hurt. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's absolutely wild. Even I feel like staying up too late. I feel yes. like over <laughs> the next yes. morning. <laughs> That's so real. Time change. We just went through yeah. s- daylight savings and I'm just like, still like no. totally disoriented. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'm jet lagged. Right, why am yeah. I jet lagged? Yeah. Interesting. Yes. Welcome to your thirties, everybody with happy place. And I, um, to wrap us up, because I would love to keep chatting with you both for about 10 years, but <laughs> to be Same. respectful mm-hmm. of your very uh, busy schedules, I wanted to end by asking you both what your favorite romance trope is. This one has a few, you know, things like second chance romance. I don't think this is a spoiler, but there's like one bed mm-hmm. uh, in mm-hmm. happy place, um, fake dating. So what are your favorite romance tropes? If you have any. I, I, I really love them all. The only one that sometimes pings for me that I'm like, "Mm," is it has to be done really well, but enemies to lovers has to be done really well. Like Emily does it as rivals to lovers, yeah, which makes it work. But every time I get into an enemies to lovers and the banter is just mean and and I'm like, I don't believe, how can you, how can you hate someone this much? Like, I don't actually like you as a person. If you hate someone else this much, like get yeah. your shit together. Sorry. I don't know if I can swear. No, like, I'm so with you. It's the boy who like pulls your pigtails and yeah. I'm just, I'm over this. Um, but in terms of like things that I must sucker for is great and historical, great and historical, but sex lessons or kissing lessons oh, are yeah. like probably my favorite. Um, yeah. Yeah. Martha Waters has a really cute one of that. I don't know if you've read it. I can't remember which one it is. Um, I love in, in historical, I love marriage of convenience in all of its yeah. many forms. That's yeah. always so fun. Um, I think, uh, Sherry Thomas is like the, who I always just always. Yeah. A, a truly. And her lady Sherlock series is great too, but I do hope someday she writes like another true like romance because she's so good at it. Um, and she has multiple different takes on this marriage of convenience that really work very well for me. And I'm, and I'm with Julia. It's like, I love enemies to lovers. And like, I feel like I have more of a, I have like a wider range of acceptance for it in movies and TV, but in books, I think I'm just so immersed in the characters heads that I feel the same way. It's like, if you're being too mean, there's no coming back from it. Um, and if you're, not being that mean it's like well you're not really enemy I mean and that's the deal like mine are always more rivals than enemies and I think in Beatreed the exception is that January really does I think think Gus is her enemy but he I could not make him truly her enemy because to do that he would have to be actively disrespecting her career and her talent and I was like I will not root for them I I do not want them like I understand people can change they can get over things but I was like I don't have I have 350 pages or whatever like I'm not yeah. gonna teach this man how to not be a misogynist right <laughs> <laughs> you got better things to do I, I do. there was a choice well there was a choice early on I had to make with thank you for listening where there was I I had a moment where I was going to have Nick actually um know who Swanee was before mm-hmm. she knew who he was and then I was like I don't want to write the liar redemption arc 
Yeah. Like that does, then it becomes a different book. It becomes her having to like accept that he lied to her. And is that really like the precedent we want to set, like the bar that we're trying to set in this day and age? Um, So yeah, it's a hard, it's a tricky one to. Yeah. It's really, it's so interesting. And I think I'm, I'm a big believer too, in that, like you can like romance novels. They're allowed, they are allowed to be fantasy, like that you are allowed to be like, oh, these people are doing horrible things to each other. And in real life, I'm not okay with that. But in this book, I'm okay with that. And I think historical actually is the way that that works for me, because there's like this distance where I'm like, it was a different time, like, whatever. Um, Everything works better in historical. It does. Everything works better in historical. I was just having this conversation, which is why like the third act breakups in contemporary are so hard to nail, because you're like, what could possibly be mm-hmm. breaking you up right now what can't you get over in and this what, day and age right and what can't you say aloud you can say anything it's 2023 I think <laughs> um I'm pretty sure that's we've lost track of time but yeah, it's know, something like, like that it's somewhere between 21 and 25 um <laughs> yeah but in the historical you're like well they don't ever say they don't ever say what they're thinking because they like right. can't they've been taught not to about anything and like actually something that I thought, so I read um, Uzma Jalaluddin's new book is called um, Much Ado About Nada. And it's sort of a persuasion mm-hmm. retelling and it's really cute and it's really sweet. And it works so well as a contemporary persuasion retelling because the hero and heroine are like practicing like halal dating. And so it's like, things have to be so um, structured structured and careful. So and like there, there is so much they can't say to each other. And, you know, at, like the barest touch is like, even if it's like meant to be innocent is like a little bit illicit and like, it works really well. Um, but yeah, in general, it's like it, when you even try to do the adaptations, it gets tricky because you're like, well, you don't have those, con- those constructs and those confines of just like etiquette. But of what you could point about say. what you were saying earlier about rom-coms and films and why it's like people stopped even trying for a while. Yes. And now that they, yeah. now that they're back to trying, there is this sort of disdain you can feel because yes. they're like, these are not real state. Like no one actually, it just feels like no one actually cares. Um, but that's, it does. You know. <laughs> I know I could, ra- I could rant and rage about that so much. Every time I read one of those think pieces, I'm like, hire me, anyone just like send yeah. me a oh my God. email, it's such hire a no-brainer. Me. Hire you. This is how I feel about this. Like just hire you to brush up, to do dialogue yeah. passes on all contemporary and, and hire, um, uh, Loretta Chase to do dialogue passes on all historical. Yes. And that's it. That's all you just do. It's just, fixed. It's it's people done. are oh my god this business like this is why I'm out of it this is why I'm like I'm done bye I know I, I feel like the more people that I get to know in the film business the more I'm like wow publishing rules it's, <laughs> it's amazing people- that for such an archaic broken system that publishing yes. is yes. it actually still has some sense to it mm-hmm. um whereas the creative sorry, decisions we, we are got- being made by creative peoples instead of financial people like and that's a I mean they're yeah you're yes, right instead of a board of totally broken. however we at least have control over what we're writing at least there's that at least there's that yeah um sorry we just went off the rails here yeah. at the end where we were like let's get our like, get our ginger beer out <laughs> raging no all very good points and I think that that's so true and I don't know if it's just yeah like the last couple of years or the exposure on things like social media where it does feel like people are 
turning to books more and more over other mediums. Yep. I think that that's where they want to go for this type of content. We also because- lost from an actor perspective, sorry, but we also yep. lost like an entire generation of True. romantic hero men. Yeah. There yeah. are not a lot of men who know how to do that anymore. Yeah. Um, it They went off to novels to do their best work. Like mm-hmm. the romantic yeah. hero really is. So there's, there's part of that as well. Yeah. Like, I mean, I can't man, tell when you someone how- gets it though. Someone gets mm-hmm. it like the kid True. in the second season of Bridgerton. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I feel Got like it. I can't tell you how many times I send the text who is the, the new, this is horrible. Cause I hate this phrasing, but I'm like, who is the new Harrison Ford? Like who is the person who can basically say and do anything? And you're like, he's, he like, he's fine. I like, I forgive him. He's like charming and roguish and like, we, I, no. there isn't one, there isn't one. <laughs> Well, it's also, I think part of like, I, I, I mean, I love like Oscar Isaac and part of, I mean, he's yes. had an amazing career, but part of it is like, he could have been Paul Newman, he like he could have been he our Paul Newman and yep. we did not give him the roles that he needed to do totally. that. And that's well, very, and very irritating. If there aren't rom-coms that are, that are being perceived as like prestigious in any way, then the actors who know that they like are also on the track to probably get an Oscar at some point are less likely to want to do those roles anyway, because there's like judgment. There's still, I think, I think there still is a lot of misogyny and judgment there. I think it's changing probably because of romance readers, honestly, because romance readers have gotten so loud in the best way in the last few years of just being like, I love this. And that's right. not embarrassing. And I think that's, you know, there are so many more new romance readers. Um, so this is like, I mean, there, if we, if, and when we get great rom-coms back in film, I think that romance readers can pat themselves on the back a little bit for being the reason that that happened. Yeah. And I think it's just part of the system. Like there, this was the moment that like horror had 10 years ago where you had a yeah. bunch of like indie horror filmmakers creating like really interesting um, low budge stuff and then being given the opportunity to take over a franchise or something yeah. like that. There was a pathway and we don't see that yet with rom-coms but I think they're I think it's coming but we have to be able to people have to be able to make things in isolation and be given that sort of this goes to this is like down a rabbit hole about financing and whatever but um it's a there's I think that's like kind of the model we need to look at where right now all production is happening in-house at like a Netflix or Amazon or something there's no not an indie market right now for rom-coms and so you don't get those singular voices the way you did with horror which made that genre explode so anyway uh yeah we're gonna fix we're gonna fix we're gonna fix it we're gonna fix publishing yeah (laughs) we're on it if if any duo can I think it's you too. Oh, <laughs> uh, it would with, be fun. With that, I just want to say thank you so much for coming back to the professional book nerds. It is an absolute delight to have had you both here. Is there any, are there any final thoughts uh, you want to toss out to listeners or readers? I will say that I honestly, and I say this with every book, I didn't think she could do better than Beatreed. And then I've just, every single time I'm like, how did you do this? But it is from a, purely craft perspective her best book objectively um it is astonishing and I I think that your readers are going to be there for you I think they're going to go along with the ride because you earn every second of it and it's just I really honestly can't wait for people to um 
have this one and the the catharsis that it will probably trigger <laughs> well first of all thank you I, I i feel like this always happens with us we're like what if we just go back and forth and compliment each other for a while i've already said all of this but thank you for listening was one of very few books in the last few years that has given me imposter syndrome i feel like i mostly passed imposter syndrome from the writing perspective like the being a public person i still feel it but reading that book, I was like, oh, this is like how it's supposed to be done is sort of the feeling. Um, and Ridiculous. I, you know, I love my books. I believe in them, but it really, yeah. So I am excited to see what you do next. I am willing to wait four years. I'm not in a rush. Where am I going? Um, and beyond that, like the last thing I would say is just like, thank you to everyone who's reading, who's listening, um, for continuing to let Julia and I eat yeah <laughs> literally. thanks guys like literally thank yeah. you for funding our dinners um and supporting our work and I really I I I do believe that you're gonna love this especially if you do audio I hope and believe that you will love this I couldn't have said it better myself I think everybody will love this and I am excited for readers to have it in their hands so I can discuss it openly with people because it's so good with that just thank you so much for coming onto the podcast it was an absolute pleasure to speak with you both today Thank you. Thank you. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer and Joe Skelly and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.